I'm honored uh, to be here, and I'm so grateful uh, to Derek for him inviting me uh, to come and to share uh, the word. Uh, I know that uh, that invitation uh, has a lot in it. He uh, uh, values uh, the gift that God has put in me, and he values our relationship, and that uh, means a lot and uh, makes me feel honored to be able to come um, and to share. Uh, But also, I'm honored just the fact that God would use me. Um, I don't know about you, but I often think about uh, the fact that I'm a flawed individual. I think about my inabilities and my liabilities, um, and uh, it makes me say the same thing that David once says, what is man that you are mindful of him and and not only the fact that God would be merciful and gracious enough uh, to save us, uh, but the fact that the Bible tells us that He saved us and called us to a purpose and i 'm glad that He has a purpose for my life, He has a purpose for your life, and that uh, i 'm grateful that He continues to use me and i 'm grateful that He is using me tonight in this capacity uh, to be able to speak into your lives and the fruit that that will bring for not only your life but for the kingdom of God. Um, so I want to uh, just jump right into the word. Um, I'm going to uh, be uh, speaking tonight from Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Uh, and I'll read this uh, passage in your hearing uh, and then offer subject for your consideration and we'll get into uh, the word. Luke chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 1, we'll read through verse uh, verse 13. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, okay? Here's what the word of God says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his persistence, his willingness and his resolve to not give up, the Bible says he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you if his son asks for a fish. Will instead of a fish give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children. 
how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I want to speak tonight from this subject, asking for a friend, asking for a friend. Maybe you've heard that term before, uh, and sometimes it's used very genuinely, and others, it, other times it's used as a guise, as a cover-up. Sometimes you can uh, be in a conversation, and maybe you've even used that phrase yourself, but you can be in a group and, and, and there'll be somebody talking or someone who has an expertise or a knowledge in a certain area, and somebody or yourself, you'll throw out a question and you say, well, I'm asking for a friend, right? Because uh, we know that a friend is dealing with this or has this, and so since we have a person who can speak to that or deal with that, we throw the question out there, and we genuinely are asking for someone who is in need. Uh, but, but other times when people throw that out, it's actually a cover-up. It's a guise because they feel like what they are going to ask is embarrassing or it's stupid or something like that. So to shield them, shit themselves from that embarrassment, they put it under the guise of, I'm asking for a friend, right? And here in this particular parable, we see Jesus telling us about a man who goes to, or we don't know if it's a man or a woman or whoever, but this person who goes to a friend uh, in the middle of the night and he genuinely and is directly asking a request for a friend. It's, it's, it's not a guise that it's actually something for himself that he wants to get for himself, but he's using the guise of for a friend, but he literally has come asking for a friend. And that's what we want to deal with uh, on tonight, this passage with that subject, asking for a friend. Uh, I want to just give a preface before I get into any of this that uh, although every time I, I speak the word of God, I try to speak with authority be, be, because of two reasons. One, not because of who I am, but because one, it's the word of God and the word of God should be spoken with confidence and with authority. And I also try to speak with authority because if I believe in my heart that God has given me an assignment, I don't want to speak that as if I'm unsure sure I'm still trying to figure it out but I want to speak it as if I am sure of the word and the assignment that God has given me and so I'm going to do my best to do that tonight however uh, whether I speak with authority or what my statements are whether I use first second third person statements I want you to know that I speak this and offer it humbly as well as a person who's on the journey with you not one who has arrived I feel like Paul when he says, I have not apprehended all that for which Christ apprehended me for. But this one thing that I do, I forget those things that are behind. I press forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ. And I say that because sometimes when you may hear a pastor speak or a prophet, evangelist, whoever, sometimes we can put things out there and you'll walk away with an impression. Man, they, they really are spiritual in that area. And you can uh, not know that in that area of their life they may be struggling just like you are. 
are uh, in that area. But however, they have to speak with authority and with confidence uh, because it's the word of God. So I say that to say we're on a journey together. And the very things that I'm going to present to you on tonight are not areas in which I stand on the mountaintop of mission accomplished, but rather one trekking up that mountain with you and pressing into all that God wants from us and all that God has for us. So with that being said, let's get into it. Uh, We are definitely living in perilous times. Amen. Would you agree with that? We are living in perilous times. And if we didn't know it before, 2020 came along and it showed us that we are living in perilous times. Regardless of what our personal opinions are, regardless of what our personal preferences are, where we stand in faith, doctrine, or anything else, the reality is this year has brought a culture collision in a way that most of us have probably not seen in our lifetime. Uh, It is this year that we have a heightened political climate because we're in the midst of a presidential election and that brings all of the uh, uh, controversy and mudslinging and all of that that it brings with it. So we've got that going on. And then to add to that basket, you want to bring a pandemic uh, into it where a virus is, is running around and people are losing their lives and you're getting mixed messages, whether it's from government officials or from other individuals and so we've got all of that going on Uh, and then if you add to that then we have a year where racial tension um, has erupted in a way like like not in recent history and so we really are dealing with a collision of culture in this year and if and and I don't believe that and let me just say this I don't believe God is doing any one thing in the midst of all of this you'll have people that try to speak emphatically of God is doing this this is what God is doing in this season David said in the psalm that the wonders of the Lord are multiplied and they are far too many to tell and so what I need you to understand that when you look at all of what's going on in this year God is not doing just one thing there are hundreds of things that God is doing Uh, Jesus said my father is at work and God truly is at work and so we can't necessarily put our finger on anything one thing that God is doing but if there uh, is something that God is doing I believe he's preparing his church I believe that he's preparing his bride. And even in the midst of all that is going on this year, we still must be the people of God. We still must be the church of Jesus Christ. We still must be the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's what God has called us to do. And I want you to understand 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 2. Paul talked about how he had been treated poorly and how he had been put to shame in all of these places. But he said, nevertheless, in the midst of all of the conflict, he still shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's my charge for us as the body of Christ is are we in the midst of all of the conflict still have our mind and our eyes set on what our mission is and that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what God has called us to do and that's what we want to be faithful 
to do. We're, we're living in this time uh, where this culture collision, this culture clash is of grotesque nature. And we as the body of Christ, we've got to be sharing the gospel, as I said. But another thing we've got to be doing is we've got to be praying. We've got to be interceding. Uh, certainly, it should be appropriate for me to talk about prayer at the house of prayer tonight, right? Uh, so we've got to be praying. We've got to be interceding. And we know what the word says. The word says to pray at all times, that we are to pray without ceasing. We are to pray in, every, in everything on every occasion. And so we should be praying, whether we have a pandemic going on, whether we've got an election going on, we ought to be people con- uh, consistently given to prayer. However, if there was ever a time where we need the full prayer force of almighty God to be activated that time is right now we must be a praying interceding people in this time we need to be a people that we are asking God for his wisdom and we are asking God for his will to be done James says in James chapter 1 that if any man lacks wisdom let him ask God and so we need to be a people that we're pleading and asking God for his wisdom and we're asking God for his will to be done But when you look around at all of what's going on, maybe you feel a little bit like me that I can look at different things and on any given day. I can see things that's being presented on the news and I can hear things from people around me and I can get to the point where I don't even know what to pray. I don't know where to even begin in praying. And so sometimes my prayers can sound very general, right? Because I'm praying in a general way because I don't know really how to pray into specifics because I don't necessarily know the mind of God in every situation. And then I see all of this stuff and it's like, what, what, what can I pray for? What do I begin to pray for? And, and, and I believe that I'm in good company in terms of the Bible because I believe that the disciples... They came to that point in their ministry. And I believe that's what we're looking at in Luke chapter 11 is that they came to a point where they realized their prayer lives had to go to another level. Are you hearing me? They realized their prayer life had to go to another level. They had now been with Jesus for some time. They had been seeing Jesus proclaim the kingdom of heaven. They had been seeing Jesus do miracles and all of this stuff that Jesus was doing. And when we get to Luke chapter 11, we see one of the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. Now, there may have been several dynamics that play into them asking that question it could have been that they felt powerless it could have been that they saw the ministry that they were up against and they knew that they needed prayer at a different level but I want to just deal with directly what's in this text tonight because what I do know if if nothing else prompted them to ask Jesus to teach them to pray what they had just experienced was watching Jesus pray In verse number one, the Bible said that at a certain place, at a certain time, Jesus was praying. And when he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So if we don't know anything else, we know what prompted them to ask this question was watching Jesus pray. There's something about looking at Jesus in whatever he's doing that will show you how much you fall short in something. (laughs) 
Would anybody agree that all of us fall short of the glory of God? You know, while many times in the church we're trying to compare ourselves to other individuals and where we stand with other individuals, the real gauge that we should be uh, uh, comparing or contrasting ourselves against is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the standard. It's not the pastor. It's not the, the prayer team. It's not the deacons. It's not any of those people. Jesus is the standard. And it's not nothing like looking at Jesus do something and then realize you need to step it up a little bit. And I believe that's exactly what was happening in this passage. These boys had saw Jesus laboring in prayer. They saw his communication with the Father. They saw the way that he lamented and the way that he pursued his Father in prayer. And from seeing the way that Jesus prayed, they knew that they knew very little about prayer. You have to understand that prayer was not a foreign concept to them. It wasn't like they didn't know anything about prayer. Prayer hadn't just been invented. People have been praying for years. Even in in the Old Testament, people prayed and Jews, it was a part of the custom. It was a part of the culture that they prayed even at regular times. So these boys knew something to pray, especially those that were of a Jewish heritage. But they saw something in Jesus that caused them to realize, I don't know all I need to know and I'm not functioning at the level that I need to be functioning at. And so, like this disciple that came to Jesus, I want to suggest to some of us, in terms of stepping up our prayer game, so to speak, and going to the next level, that maybe our first prayer is not about the pandemic, it's not about the president, it's not about the racial tension, but maybe our first prayer in our quiet time is, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray the prayers that you would pray. Teach me to pray with the confidence that you would pray. Teach me to pray with the faith that you would pray. Teach me to pray on the foundation of scripture that you would pray. And above all of that, teach me to pray with the spirit of sonship like you pray. There should be something that we look at with Jesus when he prays that we realize and recognize we're not where we ought to be. Now praise God for those of us who we have prayer lives and it's consistent and, and praise God for those of us who are intercessors and we spend time in intercessors. But here's what I understand and what I know from the word of God. We can always go deeper and we can always be more faithful. And so... Maybe our first prayer is like this disciple, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to go to another level, the level that you pray on, the level that you operate on. They saw Jesus and praying and they wanted more in this area. Listen to the Hebrew writer, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. I want to sagaciously suggest to you that what Jesus does now in eternity, it was a continuation of what we saw him doing on the earth. And Hebrews 7:25 says this, consequently, he talking about Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hear it again. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
Here's the point that I want to, we're going to hold on to this verse for a little bit later too, but here's the point I want to make right now. The Bible says emphatically that Jesus Christ lives to intercede. He lives to intercede. The Bible says he lives to make intercession for them. So watch this, Christ lives to intercede. If we can put that precept on top of another precept, and here's the other one, Christ lives in me. Right? Can you declare that? Say, Christ lives in me. Come on, say it with conviction. Say, Christ lives in me. He lives in me, right? So watch this. Christ lives to intercede. Christ lives in me. So if Christ lives to intercede and Christ lives in me, what type of life do you think he's going to live in me? A life of intercession. That's right. He's going to live a life of intercession. No one can say that Christ is dwelling in them and fully living in them who does not give time, attention, and priority to intercession. Because Christ lives to intercede. Christ lives in me. And therefore, the life I now live will be a life of intercession. Why? Because he's living a life of intercession in me is that making sense time is cut out for people thinking that intercession is just for people who come to the prayer room time is cut out for people thinking that intercession is just for the prayer team it's just for the pastors and the leaders no we all have been called to a life of intercession why because Christ lives to intercede and Christ lives in me therefore his life in me will be a life of intercession so these boys were asking Jesus to teach them how to pray notice what they say like John taught his disciples because what you have to understand in, a, in that culture that the, the rabbi disciple relationship was hugely significant they they truly wanted to be like their teacher the, the, the Bible says even Jesus says this that a, a student will not surpass their teacher but they will be like their teacher is not greater than their teacher but they will be like their teacher and they understood that John had been training their disciples to be like him in certain areas and so they said in this area of prayer Jesus we don't want to be like John we don't want to be like other people we want to be like you and I believe that's one of the things that God has called me here tonight to stir in your hearts, to stir in my own heart, is that when it comes to prayer, when it comes to intercession, that the goal would not be five minutes longer, that the goal would not be another night or another evening, but that the goal would be to intercede like him. Amen. Because sometimes we have, you know, those vague goals of, I can pray more, right? I need to pray more. I need to spend more time. But what does that actually mean, right? And so I think the goal really is not more time, uh, although we should, again, be praying at all times. But the goal is to intercede like him. And I think you have to get in the spirit and you have to get in the word of God to have revelation of what that looks like to pray like Jesus. That's a whole nother subject and not my assignment tonight. But I want to show you that Jesus begins to teach them. 
He begins to teach them. And so he gives them some general instruction concerning prayer. But his prayer that he's teaching them is from a kingdom perspective. But, but, but as if to go deeper, watch this, as if to go deeper so they can understand the nuts and bolts of prayer, the spirit of prayer, he gives them a parable with corresponding truths. And the parable that he gives them is this. A man has a friend that comes to him on a journey and we presume that it's around midnight because that's the time when he went to the neighbor's house to ask for provision. He has nothing to set before this friend that comes so he goes to the neighbor's house and says, would you lend me three loaves where I have a friend who has come to me on a journey and I have nothing to set in front of him. The person inside the house says the door is shut. I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. I can't get up and give it to you he says but this person would not get up watch this he would not get up because of friendship even being friends wouldn't moving but what moved him is the fact that he was persistent the requester was persistent and because of his persistence because he would not let go of the request then the person gets up and the Bible says that he gave him whatever he needed. Jesus then goes on from there to tell us then the famous uh, passage that we quote asking it shall be given seeking you shall find knock and the door shall be open. Now here's the thing follow me here many times when this passage is taught or quoted We focus on the what of the passage. We focus on the what of the passage. And the what of the passage is the prayer itself. We use this to teach prayer. We use it to teach intercession. And more specifically, we use it to teach persistence in intercession. We use it to teach faithfulness and not giving up and going to God and and making sure that we keep our requests before God. But that's just the what I believe the assignment that God sent me here tonight for is to highlight the why. Somebody say the why. The the what, watch this, the what can give you motivation to intercede. But it's the why that puts motive in your intercession. I'll say it again. The what gives you motivation to intercede, but it's the why that gives you motive in your intercession. And here's what I want to show you from this text. There are basically two causes, two causes that brings about the effect of persistent intercession. The first may be a little obscure and I'll point it out, but the second is more obvious. There's basically two whys that Jesus focuses on. And the reason why I want to focus on the why is because I I don't know about you. I want to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, not just the ones that float around over years and the ones that are really obvious. But if Jesus gives this parable, I believe every part of the parable is important, not just the point that we want to make from it, not just the main point but he gives Jesus's words he says are spirit they are life and we know Jesus speaks intentionally and so I want you to pay attention to the whys that Jesus gives here is why number one this is the one that may be a little more obscure why number one is because there was an unintended or at least an unexpected interaction 
There was an unintended or at least an unexpected interaction. Stay with me now. Watch this. Unintended or unexpected interaction. Where are you getting that from? Notice the time that the Bible says that this person goes and makes the request for these groceries. It's at midnight. Which suggests to me that the person who is going asking for groceries did not know that this friend was coming and stopping at his house. It was an unexpected or at least an unintended interaction. If that's not enough for you, I'm still on number one. If this man knew that a friend was coming, would he not have prepared for him beforehand? Would he not have been gathering things beforehand that he knew he needed to take care of this friend? So the fact of the time and the fact that he was unprepared, and even if he knew he didn't have the means to be able to take care of this friend that was coming, would he not have went a whole lot earlier to say, hey, I've got this friend that's coming later on. You think you might be able to loan me some things because I don't have anything right now. So what I'm trying to show you is that number one, there was an unintended or at least an unexpected interaction and so he was not prepared for it and that's part of what part of what led him to go to the friend's house to make a request all right it all makes sense hopefully in a minute here's number two the second cause or the second why the requester the intercessor who went to ask for the provision recognize a need in his friend but also recognize his inability to meet the need i'll say it again he recognized that his friend had a need but he also recognized he was unable to meet the need so when you put the two of those together Jesus is not just pointing out a what of intercession, but Jesus is pointing out a why of intercession. In other words, both of these combined is what forced this person to the door of their friend. Let me go ahead and give it to you so you have the whole sermon, right? Here's the sermon, y'all. The nature of this intercession is in light of serving someone else. Are you hearing me? The nature of this intercession is in light of serving someone else. This person is saying basically when they go to the friend, I don't have what I need to serve. Is that making sense? So much of our intercession can be spent uh, praying about revival and praying about the glory of God and praying about uh, uh, economic uh, changes and the violence would be pushed away and pushed back. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be intercessing for those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't be praying for our city and praying for glory and praying for revival. But when I look at this text, I don't see a man going to ask for anything for himself. He's not asking for the city. He's not asking for anything but the fact that he recognizes there's somebody who has a need and he doesn't have what it takes to be able to fill that need. And that has now forced him to the door of somebody who he believes can help him with what he needs to serve somebody else. And thanks be to God that we have a friend we can go to at midnight. (laughs) 
It doesn't have to be at a set prayer time. It doesn't have to be at a set prayer gathering, but we can go to this friend at midnight. Watch this. When I talk about much of intercession, we rightfully spend time intercessing for these things about the city and the church and the bride of Christ. But my assignment tonight is maybe to push us to another level of prayer by not just more of the what, but more of the why. Is there anything that we see as a need in other people that that forces us to the face of God and we refuse to give up until God gives us what they need. Oh, y'all missed it. Is there anything that we see as a need in other people that it forces us to the face of God and we refuse to relent in asking for it until God gives us what they need? I'm going to say it again. Is there anything that we see as a need in somebody else that it forces us to the face of God and we refuse to relent in prayer until God gives us what they need? That's the parable that Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying this area of prayer is not God do. But God make me the provision. (laughs) Put the provision in my hands. Give me the answer that I may take it to them. God, I'm not asking you to act outside of me. I'm not asking you to act even despite me. I'm asking you to act with me. I'm coming to you for a need they have and I refuse to give up till you give me what they need and I promise you God you can trust me with it because if you give it to me I won't use it for me I'll take it to the one that's in need. Is there any person in your life that you will say I see people around me Lord they've happened to come upon me in their journey and there's things that they need that I don't have to give them but I believe that you have it to give and I will keep asking and I will keep seeking and I will keep knocking not for me Not for you to do something outside of me, but I'll keep asking and seeking and knocking for them until you give it to me and I'll give it to them. Watch this. I told you there were two causes, two causes for this intersection. The first one is unintended and unexpected interactions, right? Unintended and unexpected interactions reveal Things that are needed. I hope y'all can hear me beyond just my words tonight and what I'm able to articulate because I believe the spirit is revealing something to us, especially about this time that we're living in. When we think about all of what has been going on in 2020, I believe that we have come up against some unexpected and some unintended interactions. Whether directly or indirectly, right? We've come up against some unintended and unexpected interactions. And those unintended and unexpected interactions are, watch this, they're revealing to us things people need. And we are so quick to get annoyed, to be grieved, to be over it. 
I'm ready to move on. This has been going on too long. This is too much. I don't have time for this and everything else. We are so quick to be grieved and annoyed and over something that we're not paying attention that these unexpected and unintended interactions are actually revealing needs to us that those needs are to force us to the face of the Father that, and we ought to have the resolve that I will not give up coming to you until you give me what they need. Let me keep going. The question is, are your eyes and heart open, first of all, to seeing the need? Are your eyes and heart open to seeing the need? If we can dig a little bit, let's just take out our sanctified shovels and dig a little bit because this person who's going to ask for groceries, we can we can assume there had to be some type of conversation or or interaction or some observation that let this person know that the that the friend was hungry. Right? That he maybe he just simply asked a question. Are you hungry? Have you eaten anything? I know you've been journeying. Is there any? there was some type of some type of conversation or something that brought about the understanding that this person was hungry and now this this person other person the friend needed to go get food. The question is, are your eyes and hearts open to the needs of the people who you're coming in contact with that it is an unintended or unexpected interaction. Sometimes these unintended and unexpected interactions will reveal that a person simply needs some physical or material provision. Just like in the text. Maybe this person needs food. Maybe they need some clothes. Maybe they need a bill paid or, or something like that. Do we have our eyes and our heart open and do we care enough? Watch this, that if they've come to us on the journey, they happen to come to us. I believe with all of my heart that if God put them in your path, you are part of their provision. I'll say it again. If God put them in your path, you are part of their provision. It doesn't mean you have to give them everything. It doesn't mean you have to give them everything they're asking for. But do you at least take the time to see the need and say, do I care enough that this will force me to the face of God and say, I'll keep asking until you give me what they need. I don't have it, God. I I don't have the money to help them pay that bill. I don't have the money to put groceries in their refrigerator. I'm barely getting by myself. I don't have this or I don't have that. But I know the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know the God who the silver and gold is his. And so I'll keep coming to the God that has everything they need. And I'll keep asking until you give it to me so I can give it to them. Because I don't want to just pray for an answer, but this intercession is about being an answer. Sometimes these unintended and unexpected interactions actually reveal that what the person needs is something non-material. Hear me in the spirit as I say this and think about, I do want you to think about what's going on in our current plight. But, but, but maybe, maybe what the unintended interactions that we're seeing, what is, what it maybe is actually showing us that what a person needs is respect. Maybe what it's showing us is what a person needs is time. 
attention to be heard what what if what if that person has lived their life and they've never had anyone genuinely listen to a concern they had do you know how much we take for granted most of us take for granted growing up maybe in a household where our parents listened to us where they spent time with us that when we hurt ourselves they actually took the time to say are you okay and and all of that stuff do you know how many people that they grow up in households where their 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 thoughts don't matter their words don't matter they've been told to sit down shut up get out of adults face when they hurt themselves there's no compassion or empathy it's all gone you're fine and blah 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 this and that do you know how many people have lived their whole life to get to adulthood and they've not had anyone really listen to them and care about them so you're annoyed with what they're saying and the lord is saying that what they need is not for you to agree with what they're saying they just need you to hear what they're saying Let's keep on going. What about healing? A person needs healing. And I'm not just talking about physical healing. Physical healing is great to pursue God for. But what about all the people who need mental, emotional healing? The word for sal- salvation, uh, sozo, it doesn't ju- just mean, you know, one type of healing or rescue is complete, it's total. When God wants to save, God doesn't want to save partially, he wants to save completely. He wants to save a person's mind, he wants to save their emotions as well as their will. What if they need healing? Are our eyes and our hearts open? To see that there's even a need. Watch this. What if their need is a new perspective? Will the fact, will will you not get angry and annoyed and frustrated, but say, God, the need that I see is they need another perspective. And God, I don't have the perspective to give to them so I'm going to come in your face and keep asking and seeking and knocking until you give me the perspective that they need and when you give it to me I'll give it to them they don't need my opinion they don't need my preferences they need perspective from almighty God they need understanding what about they need vindication vindication now watch this in here please hear me very clearly all of you in the room and those listening uh, online hear me very clearly i do not in any way condone violence looting burning anything up or any of that i condemn that i do not believe that's the way you get things done but here's the point that i want to make Some people are not burning buildings and setting cars on fire and breaking windows simply because of what happened a couple months ago. Some people are burning buildings and and breaking windows because of what happened to them 20 years ago. And I'm not talking about from a country standpoint. I'm talking about you have people that are just angry and hurt and now this is their opportunity to let it out. I'm not saying it's okay. What I'm saying is that in order to help people, 
that we have to enter in to where people are. We Many times we want to focus on the what, again, of people, but we don't take the time to look at the why. The why is where ministry takes place. The why is where intercession really is birthed. And so you have to realize that there are some people, they're looking for vindication. Not vindication over the just George Floyd or, 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 or the Blakes or the Breonna Taylor. They're not just looking for vindication. But what about the person, they've been, they've been looking for vindication since they were seven years old and somebody walked in their room and touched them in a way that they never wanted to be touched. And they've been carrying that weight ever since. They've been screaming and burning on the inside. Now they're burning things around them on the outside. Sometimes we got to look deeper. And sometimes the church, I want to say this, I hope that you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes the church can't see the forest for the trees. Because we don't, we, we, we have to understand that everything that's presented is not always the end all of what we're seeing. And I believe there's a lot of dynamics that we're up against in this time that's going on. But we've got to have our eyes and ears open to what is the need. But you have to understand that God is the one who can meet that need. Watch this. I'm almost done, y'all. But notice, again, I'm just dealing with what Jesus says here. Jesus is using this parable of the man that goes next door or wherever it is to ask for the groceries. And he goes there because of this unintended, unexpected altercation. And he also is going because he realizes he doesn't have anything uh, to give. But notice what the man says. He says, he came to me on a journey. He came to me on a journey, right? Which means that he's been traveling. He's been going through some stuff. He's been going some places. And I'm just a stop in the journey. Most of us don't have our eyes and ears open enough to realize, watch this, what I see when the person gets to me, it has to do with what they experienced before they got to me. They're on a journey. They've been going through things. They've been experiencing things. He didn't get to his friend's house and just get hungry at midnight. He was hungry because of the travel. He was hungry because of what he experienced. He was hungry because of not eating since whatever time he ate before. What we have to understand is when people get to us, what they present to us, the presentation is not always based on what's happening right now when you got to me, but it's based on what happened before I got there. Do we have our eyes and our ears open? open our hearts open understand that these people that we come up against they're on a journey and we are just but a stop on their journey sometimes that stop is a a conversation in walmart sometimes that stop is five years ten years sometimes a stop is a lifetime but we're just a stop on their journey and we have to know where people are and be able to minister to them This person said, a friend has come to me at midnight. I have nothing said before him. When I read the text, Rita, I don't see this person going next door with an attitude and saying, now why they have to come to my house this late? I don't see that in the text, right? I I don't see that this person was annoyed 
by this person coming, first of all, and the fact that this person, you got the nerve to come to my house unexpected, and you got the nerve to come and be hungry. He wasn't annoyed. He didn't see it as an inconvenience. It wasn't met with disgust. He saw it as an opportunity. I hope you hear me in the spirit because I believe that there's a lot of intercession that goes forth that's not going forth because of the opportunities we see, but intercession is going forth because of what we're annoyed by. What we've become disgusted with, what we see as inconveniences to our life or to the church, or in, we pray from a place of disgust, sometimes ill will and hatred that's masked in religiosity. We pray from a place of annoyance and inconvenience, not from a place of I welcome the arrival of unintended, unexpected interactions. I don't see it as an inconvenience, but I see it as an opportunity and I'm going to seek God to tell me what it is I'm supposed to give in this situation here's number two remember I told you it's unintended unexpected interaction but number two is you see the friend has a need and you realize your inability to provide the need real intercession begins with humility Real intercession begins with this humility. I don't have anything to offer. Real humility does not start with you bringing the answer to God. (laughs) How many times do we spend time in intercession telling God what he needs to do, what he ought to do, and this is what needs to be done, and we stand on our little soapboxes with our bony fingers in God's face telling God what this city needs and what this region needs and what this church needs and what this person needs instead of coming to God first with humility saying, God, you know what? I may not even know what the need is, and I know if I even see part of the need, I don't have anything to set before them, but I believe, God, you have what they need, and I'm asking you to give me what they need. I was talking to Derek the other day and he brought something out that was powerful and it stuck with me ever since we were talking. But uh, he was mentioning how Paul, who had this awesome revelation from God, right? He he, He had an awesome revelation. He had this awesome miracle working power. Paul wrote half of the New Testament, uh, more than half of the New Testament. All the stuff we read, you know, is a lot of Paul's writing. But even this man with great revelation, with great authority, and with great power came to a point where he said, I am perplexed. Just that part alone. I am perplexed. Can I set somebody free tonight and help you to understand whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with your children, whether it's the job, the city, the region, a ministry, or anything else, you don't have to have the answers all the time. It is okay for you to come to a point where you say, I am perplexed. When I look at what's going on in our country, I say, I am 
perplexed when I look at the way that people are talking to each other and treating each other. I say, I am perplexed. When I look at the way that the church is responding to things in a large way, I say, I am perplexed. But I've got to finish out the rest of Paul's statement. I am perplexed, but not in despair. My mind is jumbled up. I don't have all of the answers, but I will not give up. Why? Because I know the one who has the answers. Maybe we're not seeing the effects we want to see in the world around us because too many of us are convinced we have the answers rather than saying there is a need, a real need. I don't have what it takes in and of myself to fill that need, but I know the one who can give me what I need to serve this person who is in need. This intercession wasn't about self. It wasn't about the city. This was about serving. Is there any way that we desire to serve even just one other person or people in general that that desire to serve and the fact that we don't have what it takes, that that's what actually forces us to the face of God to say, I will keep praying. I will keep asking until you give me what they need. I feel that inability just about every time I get ready to preach or teach, whether it's at my own church or even coming here tonight. When Derek asked me to come tonight, one of the first things I had to do was come before God and say, I have no idea what they need. I don't have to offer. I don't have it in me to offer what they need, but I know the one who has what they need. And so I have to keep coming and keep praying and keep seeking until God deposits it. And then I have to be faithful to carry what he's given me to the ones who need it. What is the need someone has that keeps you in God's face? Not intercessing about them, but for them. Let me show you how this goes deeper. If we're going to spend time interceding that God push the darkness back in the city of Peoria, in the region of Peoria, then we've got to go deeper as to why is the darkness there in the first place. Is that making sense? And if there are people that are responsible for perpetuating the darkness, the question is, do I care about what those individuals need? And I will pray and ask God to give it to me so that I may give it to them. Because we want God to save people we never have to come in contact with. When we, when we say God send revival, we're not saying God use me to talk to these murderers and these thieves and these thugs or whoever else. That's not what we're really praying. We're saying God save them, change their heart, change their mind, pretty them up and then send them to the church and we'll disciple them. When we intercede, are we really praying with the motive That God, you know what these individuals need, and I'm asking God that you give it to me, I'll give it to them. You remember that, you remember that um, scripture that I quoted earlier, Hebrews 7, 25? Watch this. I'm going to read it again uh, because I want to show you this. It says, this is talking about Jesus. It says, consequently, watch this. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. I want you to hear it again. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. Let me break some of those words out of there so you can maybe get the point I'm trying to make. Watch this. He is able to save since he always makes intercession. You got that? He is able to save since. Which suggests that Jesus has the effect that he has in people's lives because Jesus spends his life praying for the people he wants to have an effect on. He's able to save since he always makes intercession. All right, let, let, me, let, me, let me go a little bit deeper and, and tell it to you this way. Here's, here's the way that Andrew Murray would say. Andrew Murray is a, 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 a pastor, preacher, writer from the 1800s. And here's what Andrew Murray says. The more we abide in him and grow into his likeness, the more his priestly life will work powerfully in us and our life will become what his is, a life that always pleads and prevails for men. Why would we need to have that kind of life? Here it is. Because Jesus' kingly power is founded upon his priestly power. His kingly power is founded upon his priestly power. And I have to be the first to admit, there's been situations that I've tried to come in as the king that I did not first act as the priest. I want to come in as king with the answer. I want to come in as king with how to turn it all around and bring it to, to, to being glory to God and all of, I want to, I want to bring the healing. I want to bring the, the reconciliation and all of that. But am I not able to save because I have not lived to intercede. I want to suggest to the church of Peoria. We might have a greater impact in the lives of people in this region. If we lived to intercede for the people we want to have effect on. Not praying about them. Not praying because of them. But interceding for them. The more we plead and prevail for men, the more we are able to have an effect upon men. This person who went to the neighbor asking for groceries didn't go because he was annoyed, he was irritated. Because he wanted to murmur and complain about this person who showed up hungry and, and, and that he don't have anything to give to him. But no, he saw an opportunity to plead and prevail for the need of this person. And he was relentless in giving up until he had what that person needed. I declare that we will be raised up as a church in kingly power. When we enter more fully into our priestly responsibilities. Let me end it with this. Going back to the parable. Jesus says 
which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Listen to that last point. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. Do we really believe that we have a high priest that is in touch with the needs of people? And I believe the point that Jesus is trying to make is that here are two friends, two friends that even with friendship, the person wasn't moved to give initially and without hesitation, even with friendship. But his persistence caused them outside of friendship to say, you know what, I'm going to give him whatever he needs because he's just not going to leave me alone. It wasn't about friendship, but it was, it was about persistence. What do you think happens when now you're persistent with a God who is your friend? And a God who, unlike that friend, is not looking at what he can withhold from you. And that's why Jesus ends the passage with saying, which of you, being evil, will give your son who asked for a fish a scorpion? He's trying to show you the God that you serve. It's not this God that you got to continue begging and pleading and, and, and God is sitting back withholding this stuff and you haven't asked enough. That's not the God that we serve. But rather, when we understand that God is faithful and he does have the thing, the provisions that we have, when we consistently and faithfully and genuinely come to him and say, there's someone with a need and I need you to give me what they need. The Bible is showing us the heart of God. The Bible says he will rise and give you whatever is needed. When is the church going to start believing that there is always enough? God is not derelict in his duty. He's not some deadbeat father that creates all of these people that he doesn't know how to care for them and doesn't have enough to give to them. I maintain if they're not getting what they need, either someone's not asking or they've asked and received and they failed to carry it to the one that it was meant for. He will rise and give whatever he needs when your motive is to serve when you recognize what others are longing for when you understand your inability but you have a genuine desire to step into the opportunity your father will give you whatever you need notice jesus didn't say he will give you whatever you want that's not the teaching there the teaching is he will give you whatever you need. That, that goes along with Jesus' other teaching that your father knows what you need even before you ask. So you're not begging because you've got to talk him into doing it. No, but rather it's operating with persistence, with a servant's attitude. What Jesus is showing us is this man truly was asking for a friend. He wasn't asking 
for himself and what he got. If that person never showed up to his house, maybe he would have never went to the other house and asked for anything. Maybe he he had enough for himself. Maybe that's what it was. Or maybe even he was in lack, but he was okay with being in lack, but he didn't want someone else to be in lack. I don't know, but all I know is that that's what motivated him to actually go ask. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, ask, ask, and it shall be given. Ask God what the need even is. And guess what? It will be given. Ask God and it will be given. Seek the provision that you need and you will find it. Knock on that door of opportunity and it will be open to you. For this is what Jesus says. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks, finds, and everyone who knocks, the door is open. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves is do we, are we in touch enough with other people? Do we see them through the eyes of friendship, love, as the Bible talks about, or a neighborly attitude? Do we see them through the eyes of friendship to care what the need is? And that that would force us to the face of God to say, there's a need that I cannot feel, but I know you can. And I refuse to relent in asking until you give me what they need. I'm asking for a friend. Can I pray for you? Father, in Jesus name, I thank you for this time to release your word on tonight. I thank you, Lord, for speaking into our hearts as individuals, but speaking into uh, the, the body as a whole. God, my simple prayer is that you would take us deeper and that you would take us further in intercession. That we would not just get the what down packed, but that the why would actually be intact. That we, as we enter into intercession, it really is with a servant's heart that what what pushes us to the face of the Father is these people whom we desire to serve, but we know we don't have what it takes to serve them. And so we consistently come until you give and release what they need. And God calls us to be faithful to get your provision into the hands of those who need it. I pray, God, that tonight, tomorrow, this weekend, and the weeks to come, that people are going to be entering into intercession, maybe for the first time, and that you would bless that time, and that you would hear them, and that you would respond to them. And I pray, God, for those who have been interceding for some time, that maybe they're going deeper, they're going from a different uh, uh, posture of heart. And that you would bless it. I pray God that we would not find joy in the form of prayer. But that our joy would be in your answers to prayer. Be glorified, be exalted, O most high God. And may we get the fruit, the harvest of righteousness as a result of being obedient to your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.
Thank you all so much for uh, the opportunity to share with you tonight. I pray that you've been blessed uh, by the word of God, and I pray that it would continue to increase in your hearts and in the heart of this church. Thank you so much.